definitely highlights where we want to be as a community of people. Um, and that's it. We truly want to be disciples of Jesus. And I think it would be good for us to memorize. He asked the question, can you remember what we've been speaking about? Actually, I felt like a whole last year we spoke about what it meant to live as disciples of Jesus. Um, and how we live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. That's what, kind of that's what we want to do. That's our focus. There's so many things that we can do around that. But at the essence, that's what we want to be. We want to live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. And that means there's a lot that goes around that. So last week, we started the year, and I just asked, kind of, what is a Christian? So I think we sometimes think a Christian is a multitude of things. And, I, and we, it is someone who's centered around the person of Jesus who has received Christ. When we, we, we say we've received eternal life, we've received a person, Jesus. That person has come into our lives and made us new people. And as new people, we're part of a new community with new values, new vision, new everything. And we have to see that and we work that out in community. What I want to talk about today a little bit is our entitled so how then should we now live? Which is a title of a book by Francis Schaeffer. Anyone know who Francis Schaeffer is? Philosopher, theologian, uh, started a community in, uh, in Switzerland called Le Brie. Uh, he died many, many years ago. Maybe not so many, but a wonderful man who, his idea was how do we take Jesus and being disciples and live in the real world? So that was kind of what it says, all around the disciples. And I love the title of his book, How. So how then should we now live? And it was really around our art and culture and all sorts of things as it applies to Christians engaging our world. It's one thing to become a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian. That's one thing. To live as a follower of Jesus on a continual basis, to live faithfully, consistently, is another thing altogether. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I remember the day I got saved, it was joyous. God found me. I wasn't looking for Him. He touched my life. It was magnificent. And for those first, that first little season, it was just glorious. Everything was new. The scriptures were new. The songs were new. The people were new. I was going to places I'd never been before. People were throwing parties. It was, everything was new. It was fantastic. But then one day I realized that actually you have to grow up. It's kind of, I grew up in one area. I didn't grow up in the emotional side of it, which is what we've been dealing with, with emotionally healthy spirituality. It's helping us deal with that side. But there was this realization that if I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, it actually took some work. I actually had to do some things. I actually had to choose to engage Jesus on a journey every single day. Otherwise, I was just losing ground. And I just started watching around me. People would go to church on Sundays, but that was it. So they were Christian in name, and yes they were, they were part of the family. But as it applied to living out Jesus' life, it kind of wasn't, it was kind of whatever happens. And you know the funny thing is I found myself just creeping into that as well. Um, but there's, there's this deep call from Jesus, is that if you follow me, I want to shape you. Come follow me and I will make you into something. I want to shape you, I want to grow you, I want to mature you. I want you to become someone who reflects my life and my person well into this world. I'm sowing you as life into the world. We are the seeds that Jesus sows into the world, the seeds of the kingdom, it's people. 
and he wants us to produce fruit and grow. And that's very different from becoming a Christian and being a church goer. And we as a community have set our sight, our goal, on what does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus in this world, in this city right now, to be light and salt and seed wherever we go, knowing it's imperfect, that it's a lifelong commitment, it's not going to happen tomorrow, it's for the rest of our lives, but we're committed to that journey of following Jesus. We said last week, we, we, we read a little bit from um, 1 John, and John was an old man, everyone else, all his contemporaries had died, he's he'd been isolated on an island, and he writes this final book about Jesus, the life and the light and God is love and God is light. This is the Jesus that we've engaged and touched and we're meant to live a certain way. And if we live with Jesus and we say that we're without sin, we lie, but if we do sin, there's an advocate on our It's just beautiful language about Jesus. And warning about things that will creep into the church to rob us of what it means to live as disciples of Jesus. It's important. Gnosticism, which is what he's writing against, is a lot of the church. It's in our world today. Is this that somehow the Jesus of Nazareth is separated from the Jesus of a, some sort of spirituality? But actually, we follow Jesus of Nazareth, the God-Man, this divine God who became a human being and incarnated into our world and said, "Come, follow me." He's real. And we, we want to grow in that. And some of us feel it's more real than others feel. Some feel, I've lost contact. And it's okay. We, we, there's this commitment. We want, to, we want to live a Jesus way and ask Him to lead us and follow Him and learn to grow and love Him as we go along. And it's a lifelong journey. We don't measure ourselves against each other. We only measure ourselves against what Jesus has asked us to do as we grow in that. If we measure ourselves against each other, we're either going to feel superior or inferior. And that's not what, what God wants of us. We brothers and sisters on a journey, part of a family, growing into everything that God wants for us. If you have two kids and they're twins, and one can read before the other one, and the other one can dance before this one, whatever, you don't think, well, this one's slow and that one's fast. No, they're your children. They're different. You're growing together as family. And that's what we want to be um, as followers of Jesus. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes no effort to become the Christian, it takes a lot of effort to live as one. The famous um, Dallas Willard quote, you know, grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. It takes some effort. Um, and if we, as new people, we're these new creations, we're these new people in Jesus, and we're called to live this new life of Jesus. And we, you know, we're called to live it toward God. We're supposed to have this real living relationship with God. And all the practices and rhythms that go with that of prayer and fasting and, and Bible reading and mem memorization, whatever that goes that helps us to have this relationship with God. But you know, we also meant to live as disciples toward one another. Which means we care for one another and we pray for one another and we encourage one another and we stir one another up and we, we correct one another and we discipline one another and we care for one another and we cry together and we laugh together and we eat together and all those things. It's how we live as disciples of Jesus toward one another. When one is struggling, we hold them up. When one is needy, we all give. It's how we live as disciples of Jesus toward one another so that we are developing a lifestyle that we're meant to show to the world and say, this is how it's meant to be lived. 
scary bit is sometimes the world's doing it better than us. But we're also meant to live as disciples of Jesus towards our world. So we can isolate ourselves and just be Jesus people here on Sundays and in our home groups and we have meals together and cross-life. But when you do disciples tomorrow, when you go to work, you are a Jesus disciple. That doesn't mean you've got to, everybody you see. Do you know that I'm a Jesus disciple? And if you don't accept Jesus today, you go to hell. We don't, we don't live like that. We live a life. And I'll touch on some of this of integrity and honesty. We light. We shine. There's joy. All those things that come. But we're meant to engage our world as disciples for Jesus. Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world. As you go, make disciples. You're meant to be in the world. You can't make disciples if you're never in the world. You know, we're also meant to live as disciples of Jesus towards the environment. Actually, in Genesis, we are told to take care of this good earth that God entrusted to us. We need to take care of our environment. I won't say much more about that, but that's part of it as well. You know? And we need to be good disciples of Jesus toward ourselves. You've got to take care of yourself. Now, you can become just an inward selfish, all about you sort of person. But actually, we, we don't want that. But what we do want to see is ourselves grow, become healed, and deal with the 90% of the iceberg that we don't see, so that hopefully that part melts and we more and more comes above the surface and we trust one another, we see ourselves become holy, we're honest, we don't pretend. We want to get that. We have to live as disciples of Jesus in a whole world of what it means. Now, I want to say this, there's no walk in the park to live like that. It's not going to happen if you wake up tomorrow morning and just say, well, okay, it's a rock, it's all the life. No, you actually have to make some choices. Just as you made choices about raising your kids, or studying, or getting a job, and all the things that go, you made choices, you put effort in, you do work. The most important thing about you is what Jesus is making you for eternity. You should put some work into that. It's not self-sufficiency, it's working with God. Working with the Holy Spirit in the process of God changing us more and more and more to be like Him, to reflect His life, His glory, His kingdom into this world that we, we live in. You know that in Philippians says we need to work out the salvation with fear and trembling. So we're going to work it out, not case or all, with fear, with trembling. There's a seriousness about it. But in that seriousness, there's joy, because the kingdom is joy and life and peace and righteousness. There's something beautiful about it, but it's a seriousness. You don't take on parenting and like, ah, okay, so raw, so raw, whatever will be, will be. No, it's a serious endeavor to be a parent. And this, it's, sometimes it's with fear and trembling that you take on the role as a parent. But in the midst of it, there's so much joy and sorrow. Isn't that right? The greatest thing about us is we can become in Christ. Let's, let's, you know, let's put some, some care and some work and some effort into that, allowing God's grace to break into our lives. That what, that's what we mean when we talk about what does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we're aiming towards, and we're not, we're not diverting from that path. That's it. A lot of work involved around, but that's what we're doing. Um, Jesus said it this way. Which is what Shirley read from the end of Matthew chapter 7. He said, 
you hear these words of mine, what must you do with them? Put them in action. Put them into practice. We're going to put them into practice when the storms come, not if, when they come, actually everything will fall down. But if you put these words of mine into practice and you do something with it, you will stand. You know, and the world is coming against us every day and faster and faster and the culture is changing faster than I ever thought it would change. The church used to be the center of community. I remember the days as a pastor, you know, it, you, it was like you were an honored person. You know, I remember all the country clubs on Monday, you could go play golf for free because you were a pastor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was like, and, and yeah, this thing has been that. You've got to, because there was something honest and sacred about you, the church. It's gone. It's gone. So now, to actually, we have to, we have to allow God to break in and change us. If we don't, we get absorbed into the culture. And we begin to doubt. Is Jesus real? Is this all real? Is there a God? Because we're not doing the work of maintaining the faith. It just gets, the culture sucks us out. And everything just changes. You. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll jump to this here. Um, this is what Francis Schaeffer said years and years ago. He said, if you try and compete with the prevailing culture, you will lose. If you try and compete with the prevailing culture, you will lose. Rick McKinley is a pastor up in Portland. He said, the people of God need to live prophetically in the culture in order to be able to resist it as exiles. We have to live in this culture, but prophetically, godly, so that we live as exiles, but that's how we bring change. You can't escape. We can go buy a farm, build a wall, and you know, just live on a farm and grow our own vegetables and never talk to anyone. Or we can just get absorbed into the culture. Or we can do what Jesus said was, you're in the world, but not of it. As disciples, I've sent you into the world, but your values are not of the world. But you're in it. In this world, you're going to have some trouble. Fear not. I'm in charge. But you will have trouble. And when you read 1 John, at the end of his life, he's telling the church, guys, wake up. You, you've got to be reminded of these things. Otherwise, you just subtly changes. Is that right? Um, so... What do we need to put into practice? I thought I'd give us a few examples. So looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, I'm just going to jump around. I'm not going to read a whole bunch. But just these are a few. The Bible's got hundreds of things that he would call us to work on. But the Sermon on the Mount, I thought that would be a good one. Jesus spoke these words. It's the most sort of uh, dynamic teaching that Jesus gives. It's something that's shaped the church for, for millennia. One of them is uh, in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you heard about it, not good. I tell you, do not get angry. He's dealing with anger. As we grow as disciples of Jesus in our world, I don't know if you've noticed that the world's got more angry. You get the bird fairly often when you're driving. People are angry. And are getting more and more angry because people are, they're so Paint up. There's just anger everywhere. But Jesus wants us to actually, as disciples of Jesus, He wants us to deal with anger. Now, I'm not going to give you all the answers to that. I'm just saying, he, he wants us to deal with anger. 
I'm an angry person. Linda's been telling me for years I'm an angry person. My kids were telling me an angry person. And I said, no, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. But actually, I was angry. I did VHS and began to shape some things. I've been, been reading this book, Good and Angry. It's like, oh, my word. God wants me to deal with that because that's the world I live in. And he, he wants me to engage the world not as an angry person, but as a peaceful person. How are you going to deal with anger in your own life? Are you going to deal with it? You can't just say tomorrow I'm going to be, I'm not going to be angry tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. Verse 27, chapter 5. Oh, this one. You've got to deal with lust. The world's got more lustful. Magazines, billboards, TV, movies, what, internet, whatever. Everything's working to help shaping us to become a lustful society. We actually work against it. How are you going to do that? You're going to feed. You got to feed your mind with something else. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that. I'm just bringing these to attention. If we want to live as disciples of Jesus, don't think you just as you get older you'll become less lusting. No, you won't. God wants us to deal with that. Verse 31 deals with marriage. Talks about divorce. God wants us to deal with our marriages. Marriages are sacred unto the Lord. It's the one thing on the, on the earth that is a, a representation of Jesus and the church. He wants us to work on our marriages. How many of you know that that's just very easy? get it. It's so easy. No, you got to work on it and work on it and work on it every single day for the rest of your life. And it was a, Tim Keller says, each day you realize you're not married to the person you're married. Because you're not the same and they're not the same. Next one. And this is, I'm just going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's oaths. You know, is your word your word? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Can people trust you? Or you're always shifting, shifting and shaping and can you be can you be trusted? Christians that can't be trusted with their word, that's a terrible thing, don't you think? Let's work on that. Next one talks about retaliation and revenge and loving your enemy. Oh my word. It's okay. We're going to work on the, those are things that God wants us to work on as disciples. Now, you can look, look at this and say, I feel overwhelmed already. But if we begin a journey of saying, Jesus, would you teach me? I want to follow you. I want to put some basic rhythms into my life. Would you begin to help me? Little by little, Jesus begins to see new life in you. And the kingdom life that he brings you begins to grow in you. And the seeds that he deposits in your heart begin to germinate and to grow and to produce. I don't wake up tomorrow morning and say, today from 6 to 7 I'm dealing with anger. From 7 to 8 I'm dealing with lust. And you get 9 to 10 marriage time. It's not that. It's a life. It's a life in Jesus of saturating yourself in God love. And he begins to work in these areas and you become aware of certain things that are happening. I've become more aware of my anger. I still get angry, but I've become aware of it, which helps me to begin to deal with it. And I realize that something I'm going to have to deal with most probably 
for the rest of my life. Maybe there's an area where God just does a miraculous thing and that gets dealt with once for all. And I've seen that happen in people. But maybe it's something I'm just going to have to deal with the rest of my life, trusting that God is working. He goes on. You can talk about giving to the needy. We become so holding on to our things and we become angry with the poor. Actually, he says, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, when you realize that God has blessed you and you're meant to be a blessing into the world. This goes back to Genesis chapter 12. If you've ever watched the newsroom, anyone watched the newsroom? The opening monologue by Jeff Daniels and he's on the stage and just goes off about America. There's a wonderful line in that where he said, I remember that this is my pair. I remember the days when we waged war on poverty and not on poor people. Mm. It's a great line. It feels as as we grow, we wage war on the poor. We feel like awkward by the poor, but actually we need to wage war on poverty. We need to care for the poor. We love the poor. Jesus did. It's actually who he came for. The text talks about us praying and fasting, and it talks about anxiety and possessions. But as we've got older, as we gain more, it's everywhere. The more you get, the more you want to hold on to. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The poor don't have nothing to maintain generally, so they live. But as we've gained more, Linda and I, as we've gained more, we become, you become more possessive, less open-handed. If God wants us to be open-handed, He blesses us more so we can be more open-handed. Because if He blesses us, He'll keep blessing us. That's what God does. We're not talking about a blessing of faith. We're just talking about God being true to His Word as we become, as He blesses us and we are a blessing. He keeps doing what we do because we keep doing what He asks us to do. think about the plastic people in India. They're part of the church there and they lived under plastic sheeting on the side of the map of the hill. Poor. Nothing. And when people would go, we went there, they wanted to, they were the first to want to host people under their plastic sheeting and cook a chicken a whole month's wages. It's crazy to the core. But you see, when you have nothing, you trust in God. You've got to trust God for a month or two months or you just trust God. When you have a lot, I've got a lot. I'm wealthy. You don't have to trust God that much. Now hold on. What does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus? We can go on and on and on and look at all these things. But actually it means practicing the ways of the kingdom, the spiritual life. Little by little, drip feed everything. Single day, not being judged, not judging others, not holding yourself up to some standard that you can't keep, or having a standard so low that you don't have to do anything. It's allowing Jesus to break in and saying, Jesus, may I get to know your voice, hear it clearly so that I can obey you. So I can lay things on you, I don't want to do that. What does that help? I remember, John, if I can use you as an example. John asked me something a number of years ago. I remember saying, John, why don't you ask the Lord, what, what is it that God requires of you? And I remember he 
pray that there was that a sense of, oh, this is what God requires of me. This is what God requires of me. Ask him. What are you afraid to? Because you might ask something you don't want him to say. But actually, we are followers of the great Lord of the universe, the great King, the lover of our souls, who's a benevolent and he loves us and cares for us. He, he loved us so much, he gave himself up for us. He wants us to live a sacrificial life, but he's on our side. It's a lifelong endeavor to work with God to become the person you were fully meant to be. And who you become is more important than what you achieve. If you become someone you will achieve, it is possible to achieve and not become the person that God wants you to become. We need to weigh those things up. It doesn't mean we shouldn't achieve. Please hear that. That's not what I'm saying, right? And say, who you become is more important than what you achieve. Because who you are and who you become is what you take with you into eternity. What you achieve does, might not go with you, some of it. It's not wrong. So question, how will you know? How will you know that you're growing? How will you know that as you live as a disciple of Jesus, God is working in your life? How will you know? Fruit. Fruit. That is fruit. At least two areas. Galatians 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. A life that is led by the Spirit will produce fruit. That fruit will be joy and peace and patience and love and kindness and long-suffering and generosity. That's, a, that's fruit of the Spirit. If you become more miserly and more unhappy and less loving and all that, that this that's a sign. Fruit. But I think another fruit is that when you come up against rough things and things go hard, you stand tall. Then what Jesus said, when the storms come, you will be found on a rock. Your house will stand. I think that's, one of the, that's part of the fruit. And you will go through rough times. God is committed to taking you through rough times to actually see what's there. Whoever said this, I can't remember. Maybe it's Dallas Willard. I don't know. You cannot think your way to Christ-likeness. You can't think your way to become like Jesus. You actually have to follow Jesus and be obedient to Him. And I added this. You can't invent your way to Jesus, to Christ-likeness. It's like if, when, I, when, when we got saved, there were meetings. We went to meetings all the time. There were two or three meetings on a Sunday, and in between there was a prayer meeting, and then on Monday was worship, and Tuesday was this, and Wednesday was that, and Thursday was that, and lunchtime was this, and this was this, and Friday night was outreach, and Saturday was baptism. Will be just went, we went to meeting after meeting after meeting. It didn't make you more Christ-like. Going to church service is not going to make you more Christ-like. It helps us to be reminded. It helps us to realize we are together. I'm not saying they're unimportant, but it's when you dig in, when you put into your life sacred rhythms, practices of, of God's people that He's shown us, that you begin to grow and to change. 
Go to church on Sunday and that's all you do will not grow you into the person that God wants you to become. No, I'm committed to us becoming who God wants us to become. And then my favorite sort of the thing I say often is I think you cannot become what God wants you to become on your own. It's worked out in communities. How will you know that you have more patience? How will you know that you are more loving? How will you know that you're more generous unless you're in community and you can exercise it? Community is key to what God wants us to do. God is a community. God's people have always been community. Going right back. Always been community. You know, if you read the history of the church and the desert fathers that tried to escape and they, all these monks went by themselves into the desert, eventually it got to the place where they realized they had to form communities for it to work. They became monasteries. They needed community. We need community. Community is not so that we can feel good about ourselves. Look at our churches. No. Community is about so that we can survive the culture war out there as God's people, as the new people of God, living the new way of God into a hostile world as exiles. We need one another. I don't always feel like I need you. Sometimes you're a pain in you know way. And I'm sure I'm that to you. But man, we need each other. Let's go read Hebrews 10 about needing one another. You know, not forsaking. Paul, read his letters. He, he, he pontificates with all this great theology, all this stuff, and then he gives us practicals how we need one another to work it out. You know me, I like Dale Swallow. You all know that one? Right? I like He's got a thing he calls Vim. Have you heard of Vim? Vim is, we need a vision of what life should be like. I'm hopefully I'm giving you something of that. As you read the scriptures, hopefully you get a vision of what life should be like as new creation in the new kingdom. We need a vision of it. But then we need intentionality. You need an intentional say, I'm going to do something about it so that I can become that and live that. But then you need a means, the means to do that. What are the means that you will do, that you will put into practice in your life so that you can be intentional, so that you can achieve the vision of what life God has shown? We need film. Is that right? We need a vision of what life should be like. We need the intentionality to say we need to do something about it, but we need the means to do it. Um, so what are those means? What are the means that God gives us? Some of them are the sacred rhythms and practices spirituality. Prayer. Putting yourself in a place where God can get to know you and you can hear His voice and you can speak with Him. Fasting. You separate yourself from that which is here. Say, God, I need you more than I need this other stuff. There's a, there's a verse I didn't find. I think it's in Psalms where it says, I've, I've desired your, your word more than my daily bread. Read that verse. I used to quote it. No breakfast, uh, no breakfast before the word. It became law to me, which wasn't good. But we need those things. We need we need to read the Jesus stories and what Jesus has said and how he's been faithful to his people. 
You know, if you want, there's a scripture that says, always have the Lord before you. If you want to deal with lust, you've got to be able to deal with it in your mind by having the Lord before you have it. You need to memorize some scripture. Remind yourself what God says, because when it's happening, you might not have your Bible open, but you've got the Word inside of you, and at that point in time, you can bring it forth and hold the Lord before you to deal with an issue. When you find yourself become a maintenance person, holding on to what God has given you, Lord, and become a generous person, give. It's a sacred rhythm. Give to the poor. It's a sacred rhythm. Etc. 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 It's one thing to be a Christian. It's another thing to live as a believer. It's another thing altogether. But can we choose the high ground? Can we just say, let's actually try and live as Jesus people? Knowing that we're going to fail every single day. We won't hold it against each other. We're not going to judge one another. We're just going to stir and encourage one another. So in that vein, as for us as a community, what are some of the things we want to do? We're not a church built around programs. Do we get that? We're a church hopefully built around relationship, but we do have some programs. What are the things that we can do together to help us along that? So Brian has been leading us in the thing of a two-year rhythm of reading the Bible. Join in with us. Even if you're only starting out, it doesn't matter. You can start here and come back around. Join in and read the Bible together with us. You fail tomorrow's the end of the world, but join in. Say, so I want to do that. I want to be part of God's duty. That's a way. The second way is you can begin to memorize. We're going to, we're going to choose 12 scriptures that we think are important and say, let's choose a month and let's memorize. Oliver has memorized Psalm 23. He's not yet ready to give it, to quote it for us, but we're going to get there. He's memorized Psalm 23. So can we, for the next few weeks, that's going to be our homework. Let's memorize Psm 23. If you want it, no one's going to force you. But that's what we want to do as a, as a church together. Memorize Psm 23. Next month we'll do something else. It's just something to help us. Something that we do together. If you don't want to do Psm 23, but you want to do Psalm 119, which is the long one, or 119, you go there. <laughs> but we, we, let's do something together. We thought, let's, can we read a book together this year? So this is what we, we're going to This is the one we've chosen. The Pursuing God by Joshua and Butler. It's profound. The Pursuing God. It's the gospel. It's, it's easy to read. So let's take a year and read this together. Maybe every month, every second month, we'll get together over coffee and say, what have you learned from it? I'll send this all out in an email. Something we can do together. Do you have to do it? No. Is someone going to hold you to attention? No. So say, this is what we're going to do. It's community. If you want to join us, great. If you don't want to, it's also okay. We're going to do EHS. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Help us. See that we can grow. It's a commitment. It takes some effort. But man, it's worthwhile. It's changed me. It's changed us. Not out of the woods, but it's changed us. Um, you're hungry. So we gather, just pray for one another, learn, discuss. Now we're only going to one because of VHS, so there'll be ours on Thursday. We're going to figure out what it looks like. Home groups are starting this week. Well, what we're going to do on Thursday, instead of having just a regular home group, we're going to meet at the Jacobsons 
at uh, whatever time. Bring your food if you know oh, what we said we might fast, so don't bring your food. But if you want to. And we're going to have an, an hour of prayer. We're going to pray for the church, pray for one another, pray for our year. That's how we're going to launch this week. Thursday, 7 o'clock, Jakobsons. All right? We'll be praying there. Um, and we're going to look for other things that we can do as community that don't just time things we can do together that are part. Does that, does that make sense? Why? Because we want to grow into what Jesus has for us. Before we break bread, before we maybe sing a song, close of a song or two, I'd love for us to do what we've been practicing at the start of last year. It's just let's take a moment of silence. Say, Lord, I've heard a lot tonight. There's been a lot of talking. I've heard Shelley speak about her life and just be vulnerable, etc. What did I learn from that? Aaron has come up and spoken about emotionally healthy spirituality. And Tom, Thomas came and spoke out to him. Is there something I want to Is that something I want to engage? I've come up and I've pontificated on a whole lot of stuff. Is there something, God, that you're speaking into my heart? Let's take a moment and just ponder, think a few minutes, decide, God, speak to me. What is it that you're requiring from me?